Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. back ladies and gentlemen to a brand new episode of the film stage show the movie review podcast with filmstage.com as always i'm your host ryan j rowan with me today we have michael snydell hello and bill graham Woo! oh yeah listen to that woo baby bill graham is fixed <laughs> back in full power <laughs> Oh, the days of that craggly-voiced rock monster are gone. <laughs> Normal Bill Graham has returned to us. He's been vanished <laughs> for Stay another two years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the coming of the cicadas. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, today on the show, we will be talking about Under the Silver Lake, the newest film from writer-director David Robert Mitchell, who previously did It Follows, and helping us to talk about that movie will be special guest slate.com's ingu kang so look forward to that before we get into that all of the usual nonsense we could be found online uh at film at the at at film stage show <laughs> on facebook the film stage show email us podcast at filmstage.com and of course give it a comment and a rating on the podcast app in itunes or ios or whatever figure it out tell us how you did it do it <laughs> Um, what else? Uh, yeah, go to patreon.com slash the film stage show. And for as little as $1 an episode, you get access to our super cool Slack channel where you could talk to us personally about all the things that you care about in the world and, uh, get a uh, first whack at a bunch of our, our cool raffles and stuff. Uh, in addition, we are brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema where their wonderful curators bring you a brand new film every day that you have 30 days to enjoy. That is a constantly rotating selection of 30 films. They've got a film on that I really liked when I saw it. It's called Tape. It's by Richard Linklater. It's an adaptation of a stage play, um, and Richard Linklater actually shot on video. And uh, the whole thing pretty much takes place inside of a single hotel room. Uh, The synopsis is as follows. Vince, who has just rented a room in a motel on his return to his hometown, is visited by John, an old high school friend for whom he has never forgiven the stealing and possibly raping his high school girlfriend, Amy. The two talk all night in the hotel room until Amy arrives. This is a blistering, searing piece of cinema, and uh, I really liked it. I am super happy that it is now available to watch on Mubi. Anyone else see this movie? nope okay fantastic anyway just take my word for it and you can watch for free again a 30-day trial as always can be yours if you go to mubi.com slash film stage again that is mubi.com slash film stage and now the time has come for our review of under the silver lake again written and directed by david robert mitchell who previously did it follows this movie stars well how did i forget his name spider-man andrew garfield Garfield. (laughs) and riley keogh here is the trailer come on in 
I saw you spying on me earlier. No, I wasn't. Okay. See you tomorrow. Nothing strange about it. She wanted to leave. How does that not make sense? I don't understand why she didn't tell me. Maybe she didn't like you. Maybe she knows you're poor and haven't paid your rent. I found some kind of code or like secret message in her apartment. All right. It is time for a review of Under the Silver Lake, the newest film from It Follows writer and director David Robert Mitchell. And with us today to talk about this film... We have Ingu Kang of Slate. Hello. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. And I'm really happy to be uh, talking about a... I'm happy to be invited to be on a podcast about a movie thing that's like not like a gender thing or a race thing, but we're just talking about a movie. It's nice. <laughs> All right, it's been well... a while. <laughs> Super glad that we were able to do that for you. And this is this is quite a movie. Um, it Follows was like a super simple kind of horror story with some fun analogies that you could lay over top of it. But in general, a lean, mean fighting machine. And this movie is something else entirely. So yes, looking for two and a half hours. <laughs> when Bill brings up the runtime of a movie, you know, that's something. But anyway, oh, let's uh, let's start off with our basic reviews. And uh, feelings about this before we get into spoilers. Inga, would you like to start us off with your nutshell feelings on Under the Silver Lake? Uh, sure. I feel like this is a movie that I would have guessed I would hate. I saw the trailer, and it's basically a modern-day neo-noir about some guy who's trying to find some missing girl because he wanted to have sex with her, but then he didn't get to. And I really thought I would hate this movie and as I was watching it, I thought I should hate this movie a lot. It really fails at what it originally set out to do. And it definitely thinks it's way smarter than it actually is. But somehow it really won me over. I think it's weirdness just sort of ended up working for me. All right. Michael Snydell. Yeah, I... I, I'm I'm really tempted to call this uh, as Singu was saying. Just it it does feel like a failure in terms of its main uh, attempt. But I'm also just kind of entranced by the bizarre uh, kind of detours this takes, and 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 it's so it's so uh, focused in its in, in its incredibly insane vision. <laughs> And and the ways that it keeps branching out uh, kind of kept me going, even as each new resolution was just kind of uh, a parody of the type of clarity that you want from a movie like this. So on some level, I think I admire this movie a lot more. And I love that this movie is made to make Reddit people really angry. Like, I feel like I should just love this movie just for that. But I also just found it kind of uh, a tough 
uh, annoying sit, and we can get into that in spoilers, but I still kind of recommend people see it, weirdly <laughs> enough. <laughs> when his voice gets high, you know he's struggling with something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bill Graham, what about yourself? So here's my journey today. I decided <laughs> that I was going to look up and figure out where I could watch this movie. Found out that I could either rent it or buy it on through various streaming platforms. And uh, I've, I guess I was feeling lucky today. And so I was like, you know, I fucking love his last movie. It <laughs> follows. Great film. Awesome. I own the shit out of that movie. I even got to do interviews for it. So I was very happy with that movie. Um, and so I was just like, ah, fuck it. Let me just buy this thing. Um, and then two and a half hours later, I was like, oh shit, I did just buy that, didn't I? How um, much is buying it? Just I'm just just buying So I was looking at like $5.99 for the HD rental. I sure. think it was 14 or 15 dollars for the purchase. So yeah. I, I I was like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take a swing. Um, maybe I'll, I want to revisit it. Uh, one of my friends, uh, mentioned that he was like, it was one of his favorite movies of like the last 10 years or something. Whoa. And Jesus. I, I, I was like, I was like, okay, well, it's a bold I mean, statement. yeah, I'll, uh, I'll kind of go with that. And then the, it follows reputation and I'll just take a swing with it. And then, uh, two and a half hours later, I was like, oh, I, I definitely bought that movie. Um, we'll see if I ever revisit it. Um, that being said, I thought I, I really enjoyed it from the get go. I thought I was interested and intrigued by this kind of slacker comedy um, and how it just didn't really make a whole lot of sense and it knew it didn't make a whole lot of sense and by the time you watch two and a half hours of that it starts to become a little bit more maddening than like the first initial 30 minutes and so i think this film has wild swings um if you know i never did see uh his original film uh it uh, Robert or David Robert Mitchell's original film. I think it's called like uh, Life of American Sleepover. Yeah, um, I never saw that, so I'm not sure what kind of style and tone that film has. But this one's very kind of vulgar and uh, crude at times, and I was not uh, expecting that uh, after It Follows, which is very kind of like straight down the middle in a lot of ways. Um, it's a hypnotic thriller, but it's not like, it doesn't go out of its way to kind of make you feel a certain way. Uh, it just, it just does what it's going to do well. And this film kind of goes out of its way at times to make you feel a certain way. And I wasn't expecting that. Um, I think this film, like I said, it it has a lot on its mind. It takes some big swings. I just think it it ultimately ends up feeling a little less focused than it should, um, as evidenced by the runtime and ab as evidenced by kind of the turns that it it takes. It reminded me a lot of The Big Lebowski in how the further into the plot you get, the less sense everything starts to make. And it's definitely one of those that 
you may have to watch once or twice more to really kind of pull out a lot of things because like the big Lebowski, the first time you watch it, you're, you're trying to put the pieces together so it makes sense. And then you get done with that film and you're like, Oh yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Like I should just laugh when it's funny. And that's what this film kind of reminded me of. So, uh, that's that's a good thing to compare it to, but I don't think The Big Lebowski is two and a half hours either. So that's also a bad thing to compare it to. So yeah, I, I don't know. This this is fun, but I think you it can, wore off. You can always tell how Bill feels about a movie because like <laughs> we once called a movie nearly three hours long and he yelled at us because it was only two hours and 40 minutes. But then he'll say that this movie is two and a half hours long when it's two hours and 19 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, I got I got two twenty on my runtime, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you I'm get finicky about over two hours and what that means <laughs> if you don't purely love a film. Um, as yeah. for myself, <laughs> I, I love this movie. Okay, I knew it. I knew it. Because <laughs> first of all, I'm scared by the way that you just said I knew it. Um, Me and Dan Mecca, our our colleague, were talking about this. <laughs> We were placing bets. Wait, did he think I wouldn't like it? No, he thought you would love it as well. Okay, fantastic. Um, so yes, I love this movie. I found myself completely like just blown away and entranced and enamored with it. It's um it's like someone reached into my brain and pulled out all the dumb stuff that I love and don't take very seriously. And then laid it all over top of my favorite genre of film in a way that I can't tell like where the 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 mockery and satire begins and like the earnestness begins and ends. And uh, yeah, so I just was watching this and I was like, holy shit, this is so much my thing that I, it became very clear to me why, despite purchasing this film, A24 just quietly released it on VOD. Mm-hmm. because there's only like 18 people in the entirety of the United States who will see this movie and go, it's wonderful. It's a masterpiece. But luckily me and those 17 people can one day start like a convention about under the silver Lake. Cause this <laughs> movie is just straight up. Just awesome. They're and, all um, on film Twitter too. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's a, uh, it's again, like it's just, there's so, there's so much serious tone that at the same time is applied to such nonsensical stuff that it just like tickled this weird funny bone that I didn't even think I knew I had and between all the conspiracies and the urban legends and everything it was just like all of the stuff that I do on my phone when I can't sleep at two o'clock in the morning (laughs) just like got struck by lightning and turned into a very well-made aesthetically anyway like neo-noir and so, yeah, I'm uh, 100% on board for Under the Silver Lake, a movie that uh, it's just like, who, why, how is this even made? It, it's in, almost impossible to to reckon with the fact that this movie exists and was ever even released at all. And I'm so Do glad. You, that would I you agree that. that it is like if you're looking at it from a detached point of view, just like looking at the construction of the movie, would you agree with me and Michael that it is a failure? I, um, as you were saying that I was curious about that because 
I think that this movie is exactly as the writer and director wanted it to be. So he has exceeded in executing whatever vision he had. Like he he did that. This is not a compromise. I don't think he mistakenly stumbled into this. I do kind of agree though that I think the larger point that he was trying to make got lost within the forest of the madness that he created. What do you feel like is the point he was trying to make? Well, that's the problem. It it seemed at first like it was sort of warning against the behavior of this character um mm-hmm. and the concept of over investing simple like entertainment and pop culture with too much significance i mean not just that but like <clears throat> the fact that like say vanna white like winking a certain way is actually meaningful in some way because yeah. like i think there's like a thing where he tells um this woman who is just trying to have sex with him like I've been watching Wheel of Fortune for like the last 17 days and I've kept like a log of like how she (laughs) does like a particular wink or something. And they think she's like trying to send me a message. So it's not like, what do we all think about like what moral like the Avengers are sending through mass culture? This is like serious uh, lunacy zone. Yeah, like it's 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 funny because when he does that i i sort of loved that scene because he says all that and then sees her face and is for a moment self-aware enough to say oh that's weird isn't it because he feels like that's what everyone else is doing too so i mean like clearly he's an amped up version of that but i guess you know we'd have to get into spoilers to really talk about why that doesn't work but i it it doesn't but there's a part of me that and we will we will get to those spoilers (laughs) there's i there's a part of me that like detached from that just kind of enjoys the ride even if i'm not sure that the movie lands whatever larger point it it was trying to make because it feels like it's trying to make the you know for god's sakes like step back don't take everything so seriously there aren't messages for you everywhere sure but that's not what it ends up doing so it's hard to say for certain yeah yeah, it's 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 like point. It's like he's doing all of these pointless things until he's not, yes. and it's not like there's. It's only after the fact that you realize that oh wait, actually that meant something. <laughs> this 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 single thing in a series of bizarre things that he's been doing. It reminds me a little bit of the movie Keen. Um, if anyone has seen that, I have not. No, I, no. I don't believe so. Great. Um, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the person in it or the person's name. If I had known that no one else would have seen Keen, I would have looked it up. Um, well, I, I, to take a more recent example, like I, I almost think at times this reminded me of Burning, a, a, a film that we all talked about. How much we liked the vagueness and and how that, you know. Um, how that went into the character development and the and you know the the strange kind of moral equilibrium throughout that but like this is weird because it it is at once sometimes on burning's wavelength and other times you know completely earnest about its intentions like I, i guess that's that's where I'm coming from. I'm going back to that failure question that um, 
we were talking about is that like that's i i think where i can't say this is a success that it manages to have its cake and eat it right and even though that's the point that still bugs me <laughs> so keen uh i looked it up is a movie starring damian lewis uh by D- uh, lodge kerrigan and um it's about a man who's looking for his lost daughter uh while he is befriending a woman who has a daughter of her own and the the kind of tension in that movie is the concept of did he ever have a daughter how did he lose his daughter and what's up with his relationship with this new woman's daughter and so you begin with a certain sympathy towards him that begins to corrupt as you begin to question some of his motivations and his past and so this movie has a lot i feel in common with that in that you're sitting there with this guy who yes is looking for a woman who he's known for maybe two hours and you think that maybe he's just like latched onto her because that is the way that these movies used to work is that a person would meet a woman and then immediately she'd be gone and like the mystery would be launched. But sooner or later you, you really start to question him and everything that he's doing. And so I, I, uh, I really got into that. I do think, however, again, it's super hard to talk about without getting into spoilers. So we're going to have to do yes. that really soon <laughs> that, yeah, it's it's a little weird where it goes. And so, like, uh, I think that it's fair to call it a failure in that way, just because I feel like if you are making a movie that is this assured and this, I don't want to sound like a real bill right now, but this long that you should be able to mm-hmm. land perfectly whatever statement you're trying to make. And I don't know that it does. I really don't think it's a matter of like not sticking the landing. I think it's a matter of like going, setting out in like one direction and then realizing that if you just keep going in this one direction, you actually have no movie. And therefore you sort of like uh, squish your like square peg of a movie into this round hole so that you have a movie But then when it goes through that conversion process of being able to like fit into this like much more formulaic uh, thing that it becomes, then like the movie just completely deflates. Hmm. That's a good point. I'm going to make a command decision. I think we have to get into spoilers. Yeah, I think we should. Yeah. All right. Great. Um, So if you're listening to this, I don't know, make up your own mind. This movie is crazy and as much as i enjoy it i don't i think that most people would probably be on the bill side of things but who knows <laughs> so uh spoilers uh ingu related to what you were saying so <clears throat> i assume that the 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 circular thing that the square movie is getting pushed into is the fact that in the end he like finds a massive conspiracy of rich people like that's fucking bananas like i i'm I'm curious if you think that like is that like kind of where the failure comes from in your mind the fact that like all of his nonsense and like craziness actually leads him to like a solid answer i think there's two things here i think first the movie is so very good at making fun of who this guy is this is a guy who like at the beginning of the movie is told you have five days to live in your apartment, to like leave your apartment because you're being evicted. And instead of, I don't know, like trying not to be homeless, (laughs) what he does is he goes in search of this woman. He also has his car repossessed 
And at the very beginning of the movie, he also sees these two kids on the street that he doesn't like. So he like literally just beats up these like 12 year old boys. No, so, they, they were doing that to other cars. That's why he beats them up. Like uh, he, he basically found the perpetrators of the people that okay. uh, scratched so, a giant dick into his car. Okay. That is fair. However, <laughs> he is also like a 20 some year old guy. Sure. Uh, I, th- I think they deserved a, a good punch. Bill, whoa, you can't. Whoa. <laughs> I understand the CrossFit guy has a CrossFit opinion, but that's not the direction we're going to go in here. Well, there's. So basically, I, just... you have this guy who's like a massive loser and he's like completely paranoid and he thinks that he's going to find some sort of like secret message, like on the back of the cereal box or whatever in terms of like what he's supposed to do in life and how he's supposed to find this girl. And then it turns out that there actually is this like crazy conspiracy that is like making all of these terrible things happen. So like number one, like the confirmation that this guy actually has a point is like very depressing. Um, Number two, it's also really depressing because I feel like a lot of the time when you have a new noir, like say Chinatown, and you find that there's this like horrendous thing happening, what you do is you try to like fucking fight the power. And at the end of this movie, basically he gets a message in his apartment that he's about to be kicked out of. And the message is don't tell anyone anything. And there's no threat. It's just like, don't tell anyone anything. And he smiles and then he goes to sleep. So he is totally okay not fighting the power, in which case, why the fuck do we hear about this stupid conspiracy? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it even comes to the point where, like, you start you start laughing about some of the stuff that he he sees because he meets up with someone that has even wilder like conspiracy theories that even has like a little bunker inside of his own apartment or home and is like recording like all angles of his of his home and he mentions like this mythological owl woman right that visits people in the night and like murders them and like I was the like comic book our author were to assume that he was killed by the by the owl woman. This yeah, yeah owl but woman. like we we just thought that was a bunch of stupid bullshit, right? At first. And then it turns out like he watches this guy basically not I don't think we actually see in the video recording like him actually get murdered by her. We do not. But we definitely see her sure. like uh enter into the place and then even look at the camera. Um and then that woman and we're like okay was that like what the fuck happened here like we we don't see what actually happened right so we're led to believe that maybe this owl woman like murdered her or murdered him but then we see the owl woman like later in the movie and like there's so many things in this movie where at first you're thinking oh this is hilarious this is a joke and then you realize like it turns out to be like actually true i guess like so much of this ends up feeling like a dream state because he keeps waking up and having these like weird uh cuts and like when he beats someone to death with the guitar like it's a super fucking graphic the most graphic thing in this entire movie yeah the whole movie be- briefly becomes an s craig zoller film <laughs> yes and like at 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 that point like 
we're seeing this guy basically confess that he like makes all the world's pop music and like laces them with stupid like behind the scenes like uh theories or whatever and like so the main character gets pissed at him and then like beats him with Kurt Cobain's guitar and then like boom there's a a smash cut and then he wakes up and he's like I guess he's wearing a shirt that has a little bit of some blood stains, but like definitely not as much as he had on him originally. And then he's just going off to a fucking party. Like nothing just happened. And you're just like, I don't understand whether that like actually fucking happened or if this is all in the character's head. And then even further confusing me was at one point we see the character, he looks progressively worse and worse and worse throughout this film. Like his hair is, is matted. His face is, it looks like he, at one point he takes off his shirt after getting uh, sprayed by a skunk. And it looks like he basically has been sleeping outside underneath the sun because he's got like a little ring around his head and around his like chest that looks like he's just basically been in the sun all day, but wearing a t-shirt. And then we see him later on in the movie and he looks fresh faced and he looks like he had his hair done. And I was just like, was this from like when they first started shooting this film? I, don't I think understand. he takes a shower at some point. So here's, I want to, <laughs> I want to, I want to go back. Cause <clears throat> like talking about, talking about the fact that like he beats up children and then sure. discovers this whole thing, but then really doesn't do anything with it. So I think part of the reason that I am able to get over those or not linger on them in a way that like really trips up the whole movie for me is that things like that in my mind are super clear perversions of the noir tropes that I tend to like so much. Um, For instance, in a lot of detective fiction, there will be a moment where we establish that the hero has like a a sense of morality but also like a streak of violence and so like he'll see someone like i don't know roughing up a woman or or like a guy trying to mug someone and then he'll he'll beat the shit out of them um and in this movie you get a part of that which is he finds someone has ruined his car and that these kids are doing it to other cars and you think like well they're children so he can't do the thing that a normal like noir detective would do which is meet out some violent justice but then he does it <laughs> which i in seeing that moment i remember like i had a, a laugh like an initial laugh because i don't know one of my favorite parts on silicon valley is when richard gets bullied by some kids and then tj miller goes out and slaps one of them um but the violence goes so much further than that and his anger is so much purer that it became deeply uncomfortable and made me distrust the character and also further understand like the depths of his sort of single-minded delusion his yeah his single-minded delusion and like his weird inflexible sense of like ethical justice because often like if you see someone who keys your car you're like it's like the pulp fiction thing like it would have been worth him doing it just so i could catch him but if it's a kid you'd be like all right we're talking to your parents i'm not gonna knock your teeth out but this guy doesn't make that connection he just does it and in a detective story often it'll be like find out who killed my sister 
And then you find out that there's like a whole ring of people who are in charge of everything and it's all about oil rights and stuff. But like you don't really take out the conspiracy because you're just one man and you were able to get justice for this person whose sister died. Um, so it is it, it becomes so much stranger in this movie in a way that I kind of like when you realize but I feel the, like you're really attributing to this character a kind of moral ambivalence or like a moral grayness that I don't feel like he really has. Oh no, I think that he he doesn't really have a moral grayness, that he's just like morally dark. I just like that as a play upon the genre tropes as they usually stand. And like I think this character is but I think if you were dangerous. But I think if you were to not care about him because of his moral detestability, then why would you really care about any of the weird power things that are going on in the city? You know, like, I think what this movie should provide for you is, like, he has all of these, like, there are all of these, like, weird acts of violence and oppression going on in the city, right? Like, there's a billionaire who disappears, and the billionaire, or sorry, the billionaire is involved in a fatal car crash. And then it turns out that, like, he's actually alive and he faked his own death. And the woman he's looking for, like, went into some weird underground bunker with him in some kind of, like, cult situation. And then there's, like, this guy who is going around the neighborhood killing dogs. And then you have these, like, weird random squirrels um, <laughs> that are also just, like, <laughs> showing up dead for no reason. And then there's, like, these owl women who kill... Like both random men, and then also this um, zine artist who is like his first guide into like what is actually what is actually happening. And so, I feel like the movie wants you to think about how there are all of these like unjust things happening. But if our hero doesn't actually care about any of those things, if like the thing that like he cares about the most. It's the fact that, like, pop culture is brainwashing the masses or whatever. Like, it just really falls apart in terms of getting us to care about any of the things that are happening in the movie. Hmm. I, I think I have I think I have a similar opinion, not necessarily from the from the view of like justice, though I I, I can see those uh, those threads coming together as we're talking about it. But I, I think it's more that. Uh, Brian, I mean, that scene you're talking about where he beats up those young teenagers is that was the scene where I was on board because that was something where I recognized not only as like not as necessarily as a perversion, but rather as like this person is a total shithead. We are not supposed to trust him. We're going to follow his scumbag odyssey. Like I was I was on board with that idea and. I, I think my problem, though, is that one that you already spoke, or, or uh, I think it was actually Ingu who mentioned it, was that in the film, giving credence to his viewpoint, I, I think that it starts to feel a lot more hollow. And, and that comes as well through the view of sex in this, which mm -hmm. I, I want to... I want to be clear here. This, I don't think this is your average. There are a lot of Hollywood movies that are misogynist. 
I don't think this is as typical as a lot of those. I, I think that it weaponizes the gaze in some interesting ways. Like you don't, you don't make a scene like a parade of women's behinds, uh, you know, in like, like that scene where they're going to the tryout. Like you don't, or, or I'm sorry, the acting audition. Like this film is definitely aware of those things. You have the drone scene where you see the lingerie model crying. Like you have a number of things in here that are at least trying to be thoughtful and definitely like are coming in concert with his own with uh with uh Sam's own view of women, which is toxic at best. And I think that some of that stuff works until the film starts like pardon my part of my wording here, but stripping them down. Like, I, I think that a lot of these things that have this like complex duality, the further and further we get into this movie, um, the more it feels a lot like they were, they were props on the road there. And I don't necessarily mean props in the typical way, but rather a sense that you are having a lot of larger ideas, um, stand in for a potential substance that I was unable to find. I think a good example of this is like early in the movie, you learn that he has a favorite Playboy cover. And the fact that he has a favorite Playboy cover is like supposed, at least the way that I read it was like, oh, you're sad. And then later you see, and it's like a very specific cover of like a woman underground, oh, sorry, of a woman underwater. Mm -hmm. And then like much later in the movie, you have a woman who is sort of like making out with him. And basically she makes exact same pose as the Playboy cover model. And then she dies uh, while helping him on this like crusade or whatever. And it was like this, it was like a very good indication to me that like, I feel like David Robert Mitchell thinks he's making um, he, like a critique of like a certain kind of masculinity, but then he just kind of plays into it by the end anyway. Um, and so like it became like a lot less interesting. So I'm curious about that because rather than reading into it that he was sad um, regarding the Playboy cover and everything, I <clears throat> saw that as like the first inkling of his obsessiveness and his ability to latch onto something to an unhealthy degree. Yeah, that's sad. Oh, okay. All right. I thought you meant like, oh, he's wounded and like needs help. Oh, no, I meant like in the pathetic sense. Oh, okay, great. Okay, <laughs> so we are on the same page. Um. Yeah, because like there are things like that where you you begin like the movie begins and you're sort of on his side, but the more you find out about him, and this is why I brought up Keen, the more you you distrust and dislike him. And I think that there is a degree to which the ending a of this good movie, time, and good time, um, what without like the, the good time was interesting because like. It it actually feels a lot like this movie, just in like how random and crazy everything is, but it still feels 
realer and more direct. This movie is clearly a lot more whimsical in its <laughs> plotting. Can we, can we talk about a thing that actually probably all four of us have seen? Um, I feel like what you're describing with Keen is very similar to how Breaking Bad worked. Where, like, in the beginning of the movie, or sorry, in the beginning of the show, you're, like, you're like on this guy's side, even though you definitely see some red flags, but you're yeah. kind of like, well, he's dying. But then as the show keeps going, it's more and more obvious that, like, he's actually just, like, an egomaniacal asshole. And the show is basically asking you, like, well, how much further are you going to, like, sympathize with this guy? And if you are, like, what's wrong with you? I feel like that was sort of like the moral trajectory of Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. That that's more mm-hmm. or less like graph onto like what you were saying about Keen. I think slightly, but with Keen, there was still a... Because in Breaking Bad, there's a definite point at which if you still sympathize with Walter White, you're probably a monster. Um <laughs> the that like the people in culture who like even four seasons in were like, why is Skyler such a buzzkill? And it's just like, what are you talking about? This man is a monster. But Keen has a little bit more of a, um, like an inquisitiveness. Like there's still a question for most of Keen and you still are supposed to play on his sympathies. But like, this is like, if you took that and it really was more like Breaking Bad where it's like, no, 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 no. You're not supposed to like this guy. He's terrible. And I think that, it is interesting that he finds out all this stuff that should be a confirmation of a lot of the conspiracies that he either has thought himself or been told by other people, but he was just really singularly focused on this one girl and she's like surprised when she talks to him. It's, it's, so like I'm the having trouble defending brought... it because like the whole point of the movie <laughs> to my head is like, it it's just nuts it's just crazy and this guy is doing this completely nonsensical thing and it all comes to nothing and he discovers this thing that should shatter his world and he acts like nothing happened because it was never about finding the greater truth it was just satisfying like this one weird section of his brain that mm-hmm. is probably just broken forever mm-hmm. yeah so the when reason why i brought up breaking bad just to like wrap up my thought is that to me the reason why this movie just kind of flops halfway in is like it's almost as if um you learn that walter white is actually like this bad guy and then the movie's like but isn't he like also really right yeah he found some kind of conspiracy that turned out to be right at the end right or something like that well he's Um, yes and then he gets like laid at the end and then (laughs) basically gives the camera like a thumbs up and then like goes to black well he's correct but i don't think that the movie is saying that he's right because i think that his response to the conspiracy just further proves how how like wrong he is like how how screwed up he is like because kind of what you're saying is like Walter White made a shit ton of money but that's not the show saying that Walter White is right just in the same way that this kid uncovering this very bizarre sort of incomprehensible plot by these billionaires doesn't really make him right like he is effective in his hunt 
and achieves his goal, but I don't think that we're supposed to take away that this is the right way to be. I think that's a really valid point. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I so rarely get any positive reinforcement on this from Bill and Nick. <laughs> oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. Right. I mean, I don't think that makes it a more satisfying movie. I just no. feel like that's a reading that I respect. There is a part of me that even now, as I sit here, like really enjoying this movie and liking it a lot, I wish that it had gone nowhere. The only mm. problem I see then is that the only ending this movie can have is him committed or on the street, just like still making little yarn walls and writing on pizza <laughs> boxes. And like that's that's what I wanted. That's not exactly <laughs> what I wanted. The pizza box scene to be the last scene of the movie. <laughs> that's also what I wanted, I think. <laughs> I think that I would have liked it even more if that were the case. But there is, to my mind, something... I won't say subversive, but there's something fun in my brain about the fact that, like, like, you did it, man. You found it. Like, this is crazy. And, like, maybe you can prove it to people now. And But his whole thing is like, all right, well, the girl doesn't want to come back, so I guess I'm going to leave. It's like, that's it. That's really all you've got. And then he, uh, and then he, he you know, showers up and he sleeps with the bird lady. And... It's it's kind of funny because like she's got this bird that keeps saying this thing over I and over like again. That. Yeah, and he asks her what the bird is saying, and she says she doesn't know and she doesn't care because like her life is filled with so much more than the questions that she might not ever be able to actually answer. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't obsess about it like he would have. It did sound like the bird was saying "fuck off," though. <laughs> it it sounded like the bird said multiple things at different times. Like it definitely sounded like he was saying a lot of different things. <laughs> this is what the movie wants. It wants you to upset. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't fall great. for it. It'd be great if we just spent the rest of the episode playing no. slowed down audio of the bird and just trying to figure that out. No. You're no. playing right uh, into David Robert Mitchell's hands. What if oh what if we what if I, we play the audio of the bird backwards? No. Oh, Jesus, no. And then uh we have make to reference a like an YouTube old, video on this. An old Nintendo uh, Power episode or magazine. Um Well that's I, another thing that the movie does a lot is has these especially well primarily Topher Grace's character who didn't realize he was in this movie he is I this is maybe it. the only character he should ever play now um this and Black Klansman the <laughs> oh yeah yeah he should either be a a virulent racist or a stoner slacker hypocrite because every time that he goes on a screed like he talks about how like we're all connected and the government's watching us as his drone is hovering outside of a woman's window <laughs> And he stops himself because, oh, she's finally home. And then he's just like watching her cry because he mm-hmm. thinks that she's beautiful. And then he likes has another whole speech about video games being poisonous. And then he's playing like a Super Nintendo dies and hands off the controller. See, but I think that's the thing, though, is that that stuff, it's not innocuous is not at all the word I want there. But that stuff is not. I, I don't feel like those characters are collateral. I feel like a lot of the characters in this movie, whether whether we're talking about um, – uh, sorry, whether we're talking uh, about the actress or whether we're talking about the different Jesus and the Brides of Dracula, 
members, like just the way that those characters are used and kind of in some cases disposed, in some cases not. Like, I, I just think that this this movie has too much of a dismissal of those characters for me to really feel like the time I spent with them felt valuable, if that makes any sense. I liked all of the friends that he had. He would like go to these different friends and sort of talk to them about like a little piece of what he's discovered. And they're all really into it. And none of them are like, oh my God, the friend, like you have to get a grip. And the fact that like all of them think like this, I think is like very interesting because it's so much not just about like this character, like this character happens to be the most um, extreme example of this kind of like super narcissistic, super paranoid kind of dude um, who thinks that like the universe is sending him messages or he can like figure out secret transmissions between rich people who apparently have nothing better to do than like send each other uh, secret messages through TV or whatever. Um, But I really like that he was not actually alone in his craziness. This is just like this like weird epidemic of like 20 something dudes who are all like one step away from being pizza cake monsters. Well, see that's, <laughs> and I think that's part of why I connected with this movie because like <clears throat> I find that stuff fascinating without believing any of it. Like, so when, when I get cornered at a bar and someone's like, have you heard about the Denver airport? I could be like, oh my God, yeah, man, I know all about the Denver airport and like the horse and the mural and the way that the like runways are laid out. And there was like a week long period where I just like was fascinated by the concept of the flat earth. And so I like researched the shit out of it without ever actually believing it. But I just wanted to know all the things that the people who did believe in it were saying. So when I see him talking to Jimmy Simpson in this movie (laughs) and they're having these conversations, I figure that like, I'm the Jimmy Simpson who's just like, Oh yeah, no, that's cool. I've heard that too. But like, it's not a real thing. Um, and I am just so busy actually living my life because his job is apparently to be like a body at parties. Um, (laughs) That I don't realize that my friend has slipped into some kind of psychosis. And so I I found that interesting because even though these people may just be thinking they're having like a pleasant and goofy conversation, they're really helping Sam, Andrew Garfield's character, to to go further on his like crazy journey. Now, this like my reading of this movie either falls apart or becomes so much better right now because then I'm wondering like, but would they all be able to discover the secret too if they just buckled down and did the work like Sam is doing? But I don't know that the movie works. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, because again, all of this, all of this talking about Sam being crazy and obsessive is still couched in the fact that he discovers that billionaires are burying themselves beneath the city with like three brides to die. And be found like the kings of Egypt. Like he, that's a true thing that the movie says is happening. (laughs) And so, So, but but like, but what's the point of that? Like, what does that mean? (laughs) 
But I feel like that's what Michael and I have been saying this whole time. Like, what does it mean? Does it yeah. have any purpose whatsoever? I think one of the other ways that, like, I wish this movie had done something a little bit more or just, like, been smarter about its critique of misogyny is, like, I think the movie, at least at the beginning, wants you to believe that, like, it finds this guy gross and there are all of these like rich men who are just sort of using these young women as like their trophies or their, I don't know, like basically like their accessories. And so you find out that like this young woman that he became spitten with is one of these women and that's fine but i really wish and then you learn later on in the movie when he discovers this like weird underground cult uh literally underground <laughs> that she is totally fine being in the i don't know being like one of like three sister wives essentially in this guy's like weird little harem but i kept wondering like what does she think about this very particular situation and how does she sort of square that away for herself in terms of like being one of three women who are basically there to like sexually service him. And the fact that like the movie was uninterested in that question while pretending to be like really kind of not exactly like woke, but like more woke than others. <laughs> like it really frustrated me because I was kind of like, well, if you like actually care about your female character, tell me about your female character. Sure, yeah, it kind of plays yeah. it, it plays lip service to also the Millicent Sevenths as well. Um, you know, Callie Hernandez, who plays her, um, ends up being like this kind of broken down woman. Uh, you know, the, I guess one of the main daughters that survived this billionaire's like disappearance. What the fuck was that? Um, my phone is on silent. What the fuck is going on? Why are you making that noise? Oh, Hold don't on. do that in the mic, Bill. I'm sorry. Hold on. I don't know what the fuck is going on right now. Why is my phone doing? Is this staying in the podcast? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This is okay. all part of the Anyways. clues that are peppered into this podcast for longtime <laughs> listeners. Sorry about that. There's 345 um, episodes to come through. D discover the code, and you will find where oh I've buried the treasure. <laughs> oh Jesus! Just find all the pauses in the in the podcast. Um, no, but so like Callie Hernandez's character, she ends up being like this woman that uh, is just lost without kind of a rudder after her father like is just kind of disappears and then is found with like quote unquote a bunch of hookers that we find out not quite true um but like she ends up just being a stepstone in him ultimately finding out like all of this other mystery and and unraveling all this stuff and then like does nothing with the fact that like someone fucking murdered her excuse like, me she gets half naked and then dies in his arms <laughs> Okay, but like <laughs> someone, like no one, like he doesn't go to the cops about that. Like he can't he go to the cops, Bill. They could be in on it. <laughs> uh, he does nothing with that. He does nothing with a lot of things because, like, I know. 
it's he he's like there to to just find the truth it's so there it's interesting this movie has also a lot sort of in common with the movie brick um by ryan johnson and that may just be the kind of like socal locations and the the youthful like telegenic millennial cast and all this stuff but like that's a movie wherein you know a guy is trying to avenge a girl who has died and you know there's secret clues and and cabals of people and that movie does a lot to subvert the paradigms of the noir genre but still really play within them and try to bring about a conclusion wherein like debts are paid and people are brought to justice and this movie is like that but like if the guy just didn't really give a shit about anything except finding the girl it's it's there's from for in my brain Except because the homeless I, king yeah <laughs> my um in my brain the i think one of the reasons i love this movie so much is so deeply tied to my love of this genre and just seeing it so effectively used but also like subverted and lampooned in that way and this is one of the few because like i didn't like inherent vice if we all recall a movie that i still apparently need to watch again because it may grow on me but like I did not like the way that that played with the tropes and kind of, you know, did a little jazz with them. But this one I found a lot more interesting and compelling. And so I'm curious why that is the case. But I I may never know. Because <laughs> if I start watching both of those movies in a heavy rotation, I feel like I might lose my mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't don't lose your mind, Brian. Yeah. Lose your mind. I don't give a shit. Okay. I appreciate the honesty. <laughs> Ingu, we're not going to have you back if you are telling our host to lose his mind. <laughs> no, I need this kind of support in my life. I need one person to say, dude, dude, you know what? Do it. Go for it. I'm the enabler in the movie. I'm Topher Grace. <laughs> you are. You're Jesus. the Topher Grace to my Sam. Oh, boy. It's awesome. I'm going to make shirts that say that. I'm curious. You know, okay. I, okay, I, great. Just, we're all talking at once. Yeah, Michael? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I, I, no, I, I just want to say that I, I think the thing about this is that I think there's a way to make it about a character who doesn't give a shit while also making the victim and what happens to them have an impact. Like, even if we want to speak about Brick, I think that's something that, you know, a, a trauma is at the center of that. And you could say this about a lot of noir stories, like, you know, whether there's a murder or whether there's whatever is at the center, you're meant to care about what happens there. And I think that that is what is ultimately frustrating to me about this idea that this subverts noir, because I, I think that this loses the inherent, like, I don't know, like, soulfulness that i associate with the 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 noir i i wanted to like i'm totally fine with having this main character be a you know a, a slacker who is, is totally a useless sociopath. yeah a, yes thank you a sociopath but it's but i don't want the movie to also feel sociopathic and that's <laughs> ki that's kind of where I'm at the more I try to dig at whether it cares about like any of the 
any of the violence. Like even if we want to talk about Patrick Fisher and how he dies and like it's just – it's hard for me to take to take it as like, oh, it's all a lark when people start dying. <laughs> that makes any sense. That's understandable. You don't want it to feel like a nihilistic expression of just using these humans to like raise the stakes. Yeah. Especially when I, this I character is just like a crazy person who only kind of cares about their deaths insofar as it means that he's onto something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, 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 no. Go ahead, please. I think I basically agree with everything Michael just said. That's it. (laughs) Thank you. I mean, there's so much violence that is like running through this movie. And if it was just like a kind of violence that had no meaning whatsoever, that would be fine. But in which case, if you don't want me to care about anything that happens, then why do you want me to watch the movie? That's an interesting question. Um, well, do you find this nihilistic? Like to take the word that you just brought up. You're asking me that question? Yes. Yeah, no, I don't. Um, because again, I think that the movie cares about the people who have died. I think it's Sam that doesn't. And so it, it constantly feels weird when he's just not caring. Like he's not doing anything. It, like there's a weird kind of... Sure. Um, it almost feels like the camera is staying in a scene longer than him. Like, it's hmm. almost like he, if if the cameraman were a character within this movie, the cameraman would be like, oh, okay, so we better set up the tripod here because he's definitely going to spend time looking for the guy who killed the comic. Pro- oh, God, our protagonist is gone. Like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, literally, which character who dies do you think the movie cares about? I think it... I think it doesn't not care about them like i don't think it's treating them callously i think that the the like having having the comic book person because his his character's name is really just comic book man right like he doesn't his he, yeah title he's comic man. on yeah patrick fishler plays comic man so when comic man is first introduced he has all these um life masks of actors sure and he says something like i have to have a family you know, so I can, you know, pass these on <laughs> pass to someone on. like, well, that's, that's the point, right? Like to pass yeah. something on and then he dies. And I think you can pair those two, those two moments together and realize like, this is a man who <laughs> believed he was doing something important, even though it seems crazy to us and also still had this impulse to want to pass it along because it was important to him. But now he is yeah, dead. But I think- but I think the movie is supposed to look at that as like an example of him being pathetic. I think maybe pitiable, but not pathetic. Sure. Like, I think that the movie has a level of empathy for his character because so, because so far as we know, he has never gone out and just beaten the shit out of a bunch of kids who were wrecking cars. I like, think if I think about all of the, primary supporting characters there is him there's patrick fischler there's like the uh woman he's looking for played by riley keogh who the movie does not care about there is the songwriter guy who maybe has his head batched in i don't think the movie cares about what happens to that guy 
And so I'm really, there's like the woman who is killed in the reservoir, um, it re staging that Playboy cover, like mm -hmm. the movie does not care about her. And so I guess I'm coming up a little bit empty in terms of like coming up with evidence that the movie actually thinks that any of these deaths have stakes. It's interesting that you say that the movie is uninterested in um, Riley Keough's character because <clears throat> that's another moment where to me it feels almost like her character is uninterested in being in this movie. Um, it, like, Because again, the movie is, is almost entirely from Sam's point of view. And so people who don't make themselves a part of his life don't, you know, quote unquote, get to be in the movie. And she clearly <laughs> isn't thinking about him at all. Like, makes him leave the house, says to come back another time, even though she knows she's going to be gone, or at least has an idea that she will be. And, like, she's, she, I, I am almost certain that from the moment he leaves her apartment to the moment that he calls her on the phone, she has not thought about him once. Which and is another really good, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, play, I guess, on, like, a noir trope. Mm -hmm. This woman is found, and then she's like, wait, why did you find me? You're dumb. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she I, she's, I like she's like I can't believe you you like search for me. You barely know me, and he's just like, yeah. <laughs> and she I, tells I him like, you know, do you think I made a mistake? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, well, you know, I'm here. This is my choice, and uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Yeah, you have a good day. Yeah, I love that. I love that end moment because it's like a moment, but not a moment. <laughs> like it's the final <laughs> time they'll ever talk to each other. But they also don't know each other. So it's not like they're going to do some, you know, heartfelt farewell or anything. I, I Yeah, it's it's those things on the fringe that I think are are, are fascinating. Like the the ways that this plays with apathy. Right. It's just. So, and so, I think that just to go back to Millicent Sevens, uh, Kaylee Hernandez's character, when we first see her, she's she just who finding... dies in the reservoir, by the way. She is I, the one I'm who dies in the reservoir. Remember. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and when we first see her, she's finding out that her father is dead and she like cries and leaves the party. And that's another moment sort of like the, I need someone to pass these life masks on to that. Like before these people truly enter into the narrative of the story, they are allowed to have these kind of moments of sorrow and grace. But then the second that Sam decides that they're an important character they become a kind of like a trope or almost cannon fodder. Mm. And, mm. and he cares about them less than like the impartial or impassionate camera cared about them earlier. Mm. Now this again could be me turning into Sam reading too much into things, but this movie feels very purposefully constructed and made. And I have to assume that it's all it's it's meant to signal something but then again so does sam so who can say i will say i think after this conversation hearing things from brian's point of view i do like the movie more right. it seems to have a little bit more structure than i had given it credit for i still overall think it is a failure however um <laughs> well, I, li I ingo, like it ingo, more ingo i was i was just gonna ask Remind me again why you like this movie at all, because, I mean, besides some of the points that Brian are, is bringing up, 
that you're saying are kind of like giving you more to kind of chew on on this film, it doesn't seem like you've you've had much to say in support of this film. I think it's a really fun ride. I think <laughs> that it feels really baggy in a lot of ways and it definitely feels a lot familiar in a lot of ways. I really hate coming as a as a person who grew up in Los Angeles, like one of the things I hate the most um, are movies about LA where everyone is white. Like it just drives me up the wall and I wasn't <laughs> fully prepared to hate this movie because it is a very it's basically like a movie about like an all white LA. Mm-hmm. Um in any case, moving on from that I think that the movie introduces like enough fun elements and creepy elements that even if things don't really make sense, they're sort of like inventive enough or they're atmospheric enough that I had a good time. Even things like the dead squirrels that he keeps (laughs) dancing upon, like those are maybe the fakest dead squirrels that one could make. It looked like someone took a doll and just like ripped it up and put some ketchup on it. And it looked stupid. And yet they were like weirdly fun. Yeah. That when that first squirrel like falls out of the tree and is just on the ground in front of him with his, its guts hanging out and it like looks at him. Doesn't it say, does it say something? It seems like it's trying to, but I don't know that it does. Oh boy. (laughs) All right. So we're going to take the audio of the squirrel. We're going to overlay it with the audio of the bird. So we'll see what we can do. So I was I was looking over the credits list and I ran across something that I keep coming across that I think is just the oddity of this film in general because it's such a specific title that it gives this character. Um this woman named Wendy Vanden Heuvel plays someone quote unquote called Topless Bird Woman. Yeah, that's the and, old woman across the, the way okay, from Okay, but but that's such a specific thing. Is it? Is that also potentially the person that's playing the topless owl woman? I don't know. Have you looked at the rest of the credits to see if owl woman is on there? Owl woman is not on here. Oh, then maybe. <laughs> and that's my thing is that is such an oddly specific title to give someone that could potentially be two different characters in this movie you fell for the movie again (laughs) that's the problem of talking with this movie is that the movie starts to turn you into the people in the movie you start to realize what's infuriating about it (laughs) because like i'm with you i i think that the movie is a fun ride in of itself i think that it's it's a lot i don't know just more interesting than it has any right to be just on a purely like enjoyable level. But I think that like, if you were to dig beneath the surface a bit, not to, to lean against the title of the movie too hard. Oh that, boy. <laughs> that there's something there that it is, that it, there, there is a statement and the efficacy and the clarity of that statement is up for debate. But I don't know. There's, there's something to admire about the ambition that's on display and the kind of the ideas that are at play. So who's I'm, the pirates? Can you tell me? <laughs> I'm actually really glad that Bill brought up the credits because a lot of the characters for this movie are hilarious. I'm also going through them right now because I do remember while I was writing my review that a bunch of these people had hilarious names like giant hipster with giant beard and <laughs> ugly art man and, and girl. nightmare girl. Yeah. 
Oh, Balloon Girl was great. Um, <laughs> yeah, she was good. I love the that he eats the whole cookie, and it turns out that the cookie is definitely like laced with something. <laughs> yes, and that's the thing. I think now the movie will be so like almost interminable if you look at it that way. But I think there are just like purely fun moments in this movie. Well, that... like the the chess scene out in the pool by yeah. or who uh, is it? Is it Jesus that's actually throwing that party? No, it, they're they're all there as like again party fillers for like I think uh, Jimmy Simpson's character says that it's like some cable TV star. Okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah, like that's 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 so that is the classic like myth of of LA and Hollywood in general, right? But it's like having fun with that as well. Uh, the whole scene in the uh, in the. Uh, a graveyard when like they're making fun of the fact that they're like, Hey, you know, we're up on screen and then they leave and it's, they've been just sitting on top of Hitchcock's gravestone, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, like all of these crazy ass things, um, go scratch James Dean's head and then stand under new, uh, underneath Isaac Newton. Yeah. Like, it's, it's like, what the and fuck is that? And then the homeless that? king will find you and bring you to the catacombs. <laughs> yes. Like it's so fucking bizarre. Like it takes such a brain to come up with some of that shit, and yet all of this film feels like it's brain or is it madness? It's a brain that's full of madness. Yeah, whatever it is, but it's missing that final puzzle piece, right? Mad libs. Oh, mad libs. Okay. I don't know. You know, um. That's an interesting question. Like, is it just like a, a kind of like fill in weird stuff here? And and the fact that the movie is supposed to be kind of inscrutable, the fact that it it's less of a puzzle than just like a free association thing. Mm-hmm. It makes it hard to say whether the it's clever or just like trying to appear clever, like clever in a bad way. Can we all laugh, though, about the fact that I guess last year at the Cannes Film Festival, this movie competed for the Palm d'Or. <laughs> what? Why? It was in competition, man. Oh, <laughs> Jesus! Surprised yeah. it didn't win. Is, is, that, is, that when it, is that when it it was bought? No, two two years ago. So was it, was this bought out of uh, Sundance? No, I don't know when this was bought. I'm not sure. Uh, Ingu, do you know? It says it says May 2016, A24 acquired distribution rights, and then it says it had its world premiere in Cannes at in May 2018. So two years later, it had its premiere. What? So they bought it and held on to it, and then everybody hated it at Cannes, and then they re-edited it. Did they buy it before it was made? I don't know. Like, did I, they just go up I, to I, David I Robert Mitchell and say, like, whatever you make yeah. next, we want to be in charge of it? I will click this link. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I I had a thing to say, and now I can't remember. Oh, another another thing that I just like a layer that I wanted to bring up was he gets skunked at some point, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, everyone, everyone mentions it. <laughs> everyone mentions it except oh, for uh, Patrick Fischler the comic man mm-hmm. 
And so again, my brain, you know, being infected by this movie, I was watching it. I was like, oh, isn't that interesting? Like all the, all the women on the street could smell it because they're like, they're not in it. You know, they're not like, you know, having their brains cluttered up with all this conspiracy stuff. But Patrick Fischler either doesn't smell it or doesn't care and never brings it up because he's just excited. There's a guy who believes him. And so I started trying to track that in the movie, like who can smell Sam and who doesn't. (laughs) I thought it was so funny that like when he finally meets up with the homeless king, who is literally, I assume like a homeless guy, he asks Sam, like, did you know you smell really bad? (laughs) Yeah. He he, he mentions, I think he says something like, I know a lot of people are not aware of their own scent, but do you know that you smell really bad? <laughs> it's just like, what? <laughs> see? See? It's a great movie. Well, I, wait. <laughs> no, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> just trying to see if I can slip that one by. No, 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 no. I would love to talk about what I think is like both the best scene in this movie and like the scene that like by the end just kind of kills the movie. I am down Uh, for that. What is it? Which scene do you think I'm talking about? Oh no. The Um, best scene, but you think it kills the movie? Is that what you said? Yes. Is it in the first hour? No. Oh, (laughs) it's the final blow for me. Okay. Um, uh, since, since we got a little pause, I give y'all a little time to think over this. Um, I just found out, uh, there was a tweet that Robert David Mitchell sent or David Robert Mitchell sent out in November 2nd or sorry. Yeah. November 2nd of 2016. So the film was bought in May of 2016. So that was before any of that was even shot. So okay. they, they bought distribution rights way before this film was even fucking shot. So in shot. November of 2016, he was like, we're about to start or like, we're finished. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Day gotcha. one, day one. And, and then someone like, I got at, him. <laughs> and then someone at age 24 was like, shit, I should have read death of the author again before <laughs> buying this. <laughs> All right, I love the idea now that he was just like, oh, you guys already bought the movie? Here, I'm going to make the craziest movie of my career. <laughs> yeah, he's like, well, my part of the worrying is over. <laughs> yeah. Everyone on this movie is getting paid no matter what now. So um, I'm still trying to figure out what this scene is. Part of me wants to say it's the scene in the, the, the uh, I don't know, the, 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 what do you call that? Like, what's the things that people live in in Coachella's? The yurt with the the three women and the guy and the tea. Oh, the yurt. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think that's what you called it, right? It's a yurt. It's possible. I don't remember a yurt in this movie. The scene know. I was the scene I was thinking about was the one where he meets up with a songwriter. Oh, okay. um, and it's like a youngish actor named Jeremy Bob in like old age makeup that I thought was very convincing. Agreed. Like the one special effect in this movie that worked actually very well. <laughs> and basically he does this like pop medley of like a bunch of songs. And mm-hmm. like at the beginning of the movie, uh, Sam has like a Nirvana poster. Mm-hmm. And 
he just like goes through all of these like old tiny songs and Sam's like, well, I don't care. Like those are not my, those aren't my songs. And then he starts playing smells like teen spirit. And then he it's loses basically his like, shit. <laughs> yes. And like, it's one of those things where like the scene is like very well done and sort of like encompasses like how all of this like paranoia is born out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like the big monologue that uh, the actor gives is like really well done and like like the piano playing got like increasingly more aggressive mm-hmm. and it was just really well done and then it like falls apart for me because then the guy is like okay then I guess I'm going to kill you in this like very grossly way that makes zero tonal match with like the rest of the movie. And I was like, oh, you didn't know how to end that scene. Granted, like, I also don't know how to end that scene, but, like, I didn't make a movie. So that, for me, was, like, both the best part of the movie and also, like, the part where I was like, oh, I don't trust you as, like, a storyteller anymore. So Mm -hmm. as as you explain that scene, I realize that that Mm -hmm. sort of is, like, a microcosm for the whole movie. It's, like, this medley of all these things that are old and new that we like and we're interested in. And then, like, clearly they just didn't know how to end it. <laughs> and so they went with, like, the crazy <laughs> way. Yeah, they they end up, like, bashing his head in. And then there's a smash cut because we don't want to see what happens after that. Right, because he, <laughs> he's you know, like, what? not going to show him leaving the house and, like, walking yeah. back down the hill. <laughs> not looking the way that he looks at the end of that sequence. Fuck no. Like, he's not going five feet without a, a police officer, like, being like, hey, what you doing? you're still like wait did i kill a person yeah because the movie doesn't really care i don't think it cares about that guy and i think that that's or again like it's the movie is kind of sometimes forced to take on sam's perspective and like to sam this guy is a part of this thing that and his is helping to like corrupt culture the guy I should have taken notes. I should have like paused this movie and written down some dialogue because I think that like the speech that the uh, the old piano playing man says, the songwriter, is very interesting when he's like, you know, I did um I did all this music for like your your grandparents and now your parents and like everything has been like filtered through what I've done, and like you know it's my it's- favorite part of it was. Um, he's talking about his songs that he's written floats away like tissue paper. I blow my nose. I find that use Kleenex. I recycle it. And there is your wedding song. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's so good. Like, but again, but the, then whole, the setup, whole scene ends with him getting his face bludgeoned in because it's like, once you've done something like that, like what can you possibly do that will actually sure. be fulfilling? But I think this is like another good example of like, apparently sam cares enough about like i don't know maybe his own sense of like pop culture identity uh being part of like a larger ruse or whatever to bash this guy's head in but then afterward he's like okay bye like (laughs) do you care that there's like an unjust system or do you not or is it only so far as it relates to you and then you just completely move on with your life yeah, I think it is that last one. I think it's it's a lot of it's just wrapped up in his ego and he wants to win and he um he just moves on when he when he gets his own personal satisfaction. Like he doesn't really care about the system 
at all, except in the way that it affects him. Like he's, yes, you he's, made that point very character. compellingly. Yeah. Is it weird that I mostly was just thinking about how expensive that scene was the whole time? Because I'm like, <laughs> they have to dish out a certain amount of money for rights, even if it's just for five to ten seconds of songs <laughs> I, right i think i think you get away with it if it's if it's just brief snippets i do think you really like get talk. A, yeah uh i'm not well, sure about girl kind of talk, <laughs> but yeah, that's fair like, use no. yeah i think i think it's i think it's quote unquote like kind of runs that line of sampling slash like fair use where if it's a small enough snippet, you get away with it. Cause like even when you post something on Facebook that has like uh music in the background, mm-hmm. it's, it will only tag it if it's like, I think eight to 10 seconds or more. And at, like below that it's okay. Like, <laughs> Here's a Which question. Is... Are any of us copyright attorneys? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> I've also heard the eight seconds thing, and I feel like you need probably more than eight seconds to get like the gist of the songs, although maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I've I've definitely heard like the beginning of songs uh played by in like one giant mashup where someone was saying that it's like the same like eight bars or something like that and that yeah like the same harmonic phrase yeah and and they definitely did like the beginning of each of those songs and i was like okay i know that song okay i know that song and they were switching through them pretty quick like within 10 seconds okay he also sings part of one of the backstreet boys songs (laughs) yeah sure yes he does i don't know i don't know anyways um i i thought it was hilarious that like he uh, they mention they kind of build up this house, right? It's this giant house that apparently like nobody was able to go into when this woman balloon girl was it balloon girl? No, it wasn't balloon girl. It was a shooting star actress. Um, uh, sorry, Bill just had a whole moment there. <laughs> what was that sentence? <laughs> <laughs> That's what this movie does to you. Um, anyways, he he learns all this mythology of this house, how big it is and everything like that. And he has the three girls end up like showing him where this house is. And then he, he like shoes them away and then jumps up on top of this giant, like, um, parapet wall or thing, whatever. And then he starts walking up this hill and then they show a faraway shot that looked like it was from Transylvania or something. And it's like this giant fake looking house on a hill that apparently is like the songwriter's house. And I was just like, what the fuck even is this movie? Like, like combined with the squirrel effects. And then this thing, I was just like, I don't understand whether I'm supposed to take this whole film as a giant acid trip or if it's like trying to be serious. And I think by the end of the movie, I was like, no, nah, it's, it's an acid trip. Like, <laughs> I don't think I'm supposed to take any of this seriously. That one shot, at least I was like, Oh, it's like a map painting. It's like when you see Xanadu in citizen. Yes. Kane. Yeah. So like that's, that's an answer. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if it's like a reason. Like there's, I, you know, it's, it's hard to say. Again, without mm-hmm. sounding like Sam. Um, as Going we wrap- back to the noir elements, mm-hmm. one thing I really liked about the movie is that it used like very old-fashioned orchestral noir music that sounded like it was from the 40s. Yeah. 
throughout the whole thing. And it gave it like a really fun touch. Yeah. And that goes into that aesthetic appeal that I was talking about, where I was just like, there's just so much in like the vibe and the feeling of this movie that like, I have so much affection for it before it even really starts to unspool its bananas plot. That, uh, the music, the score is actually disaster piece who also yeah. scored, uh, it, it follows. follows. So yeah. that's, that's a pretty interesting turn for that, uh, that guy to make something that sounds so elemental of like carpenter and then turn around and make something like that this time around. What do you mean carpenter? John Carpenter? Like like oh. his his style of music? Yeah. Oh yeah, cuz oh, it follows okay. was definitely like a, a sort of almost halloweenish. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> For a second I, I thought I... you meant the carpenters and I was super confused. <laughs> yeah, I was also confused. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, any final thoughts on this movie? It's it's. I feel like we've come at it from so many angles in a very disjointed way, but I legitimately don't know how else to talk about this film until, you know, again, one day I form some kind of convention where we go through frame by frame to dissect uh, oh its Oh my god, Brian. <laughs> Ingu gave me permission to lose my mind, Michael. I did. I'm going to take that and run with it. Oh, boy. Your poor wife. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking more like my poor daughter. (laughs) Okay. There's a tweet. There's a viral tweet that was that was going around like last week. Can I just read it? Because I saved it in case it came up in conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) It's by Dave Horwitz, who I think is a comic writer. This is a tweet. When I see peers popping off about Detective Pikachu and Sonic on here, I imagine my dad in 1992 coming home from a long day of work and calling his friends to argue with them about the design of the bat from Fern Gully. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so how do we graft that on to the fact that Sonic the Hedgehog is getting a ground-up redesign after people reacted to the trailer? is that like so is that like if if uh the people who made fern gully like tapped your father's phones and decided to change batty copa why do you know his name i probably got it wrong but also i don't know bill (laughs) and i apologize for possibly getting it right oh jesus um yeah, that's amazing. Uh, I don't, I don't know what the fuck is going on with that Sonic movie, but that looks like hot garbage. That looks like the squirrel effect of this movie <laughs> made into an entire film. I would watch and... a movie about these squirrels. <laughs> I think someone made a very good point about Sonic, which is that why does he have human teeth? That's I um yeah I've screamed about that um in my dreams when I wake up in the middle of the night having seen mm-hmm. Sonic in them. Mm-hmm. I'm just I, I'm just gonna say we can't we can't all be excited about Detective Pikachu and hate on Sonic at the same time. No, like, we can't. Pikachu we can. is the same looks movie. like a Pikachu, and Sonic. I was a Sega kid. All right, when the lines were drawn oh, in the Nintendo Sega Wars, I was a Sega kid. I love Sonic. Wait, you were a Sega kid. Oh, oh, I had a, hey, no, I had a Look, Sega too. What Nintendo Sega, no. Sega does. <laughs> Wait, I have a very important question. <laughs> yes. Can I leave now? Uh, yeah, actually, I've been trying to wrap this up for a bit now. Um, 
Would you like to, before you leave, uh, tell people at home where they can find you online? Sure. Uh, I am at, I am on Twitter at Ingu Kang, which is I-N-K-O-O-K-A-N-G. And if you want to check out my review of Under the Silver Lake, it's on Slate. And, at Slate.com. And last week I called out your piece at Slate about the uh, the female power moment in uh, Endgame, which I thought was really great. So awesome Good i am getting there. lots of really angry notifications about that still so well uh, here's thanks. a positive one <laughs> thumbs up <laughs> really good <laughs> all right thank you so much for joining us yeah. and uh yeah you can feel free to leave us now <laughs> Ingrid, thank, thank you thank you so much for the sonic discourse Scott. <laughs> i don't know how we got here i'm not about to do this so i blame brian <laughs> you brought up the detective pikachu tweet this isn't all my fault <laughs> Also, Ingu, you your permission you to lose <laughs> Bye. You're welcome Bye. anytime, Mangu. Thank you again. I had fun. Excellent. Except for the end. <laughs> Bye. 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 All right. Um, as for us, don't forget to go to patreon.com slash the film stage show and give us your money. Also, don't forget to go to movie.com slash film stage for a free 30-day trial. Presently, you can check out uh, Richard Linklater's Tape from 2001, a fantastic movie with uh, really great performances. So check that out. And um, next week. Isn't that a hot take? Is it? I don't know. I didn't I didn't hear what just happened. What's a hot take? Tape is a good movie. What's tape? Uh, Tape. The movie it's tape a Richard, Richard Linklater, Linklater movie that no one remembers except Brian. <laughs> I Never apologize movie. <laughs> for having a long memory. Um, if you would like to see tape so that you can remember it with me, again, go to mubi.com slash film stage. Um, what else? Uh, speaking of Detective Pikachu. <laughs> yeah. That's what we're talking about next week, baby. Um, uh, also something else between that. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, uh, now that you've brought us down, uh, let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next episode. Let's start with Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG. You can also find me um, on the Slack channel, trying trying to keep up with that thing right now. <laughs> it's uh, it's it moves really quick. It can be tough. <laughs> All right, and Michael Snydell. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Snydell and on Letterboxd, where I've apparently decided I'm going to watch all of the concert documentaries on uh, Netflix for some reason. So, Ooh. yeah. What a poor life thoughts on those. Made. You know, I, I've made better choices. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt it. Um, as for myself, again, you can always find me at my personal site, brianjerone.com, on every single goddamn social media site at Brian J. Rowan and of course you can find every episode of this show at thefilmstage.com again next week we'll be talking about Detective Pikachu and we'll be talking about another movie apparently as well what what, Um, what? What was that? we'll be talking about (laughs) another movie apparently as well before that Uh, so look forward to that nonsense but until then ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for joining us and tune in next week what makes you think love will